You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. God has kind of told me that what we're going to do is going to be downloaded to me as we get started. And so he's already beginning to download some things in my head. So I need a volunteer. <laughs> Phil, come on up here, Phil. All right. You're going to do something for me. What you're going to do is you're going to go out there and you're going to invite somebody to come in here. Right now. Go do it. No, you don't understand why I'm excited. <laughs> go, go do it. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Welcome to Chi Alpha. I actually am semi-surprised that he actually was able to get someone to come in here. <laughs> but literally, that's that's the entire point. My entire point, my entire service, and the entire sermon. I love that we're low on numbers because it's going to moisture um, the sermon tonight. We make such a big deal about small things. I was having a conversation with Phil the other day, and we were talking about being missionaries overseas. And as missionaries to go overseas into like a lived dead region, a region in the United States or in the, the world where uh, basically you have to sign over a, a contract that basically says that you uh, give authority over to. Sorry, I worded that weird. You have to have insurance that gives the authority over so that um, if there's a situation where you have to be helicoptered out, that your insurance will cover the, the cost, like $50,000 to bring in a helicopter to bring you out. Like, you, there literally is the region where your faith is literally, like, your life is literally over. Like, um, you're in sensitive countries like the Middle East. And so we're talking about, and the only reason I explained that is because we were talking about how, how cool it would be to be a missionary and to go over to those places. And how we would think it would be awesome to go out into a country where you could die for your faith. And how cool that would be. And how, yeah, it'd be intimidating, but we would gladly do it if God asked us to do it. But then we turn around, and here in the United States, where sharing the gospel and, and talking about Jesus is super easy. And people have heard about Jesus, and nobody's going to stab you in the face because you say, hey, do you want to come to Chi Alpha? We make it into this big, huge deal where we basically give ourselves over to false idols just so that we don't have to invite people to Chi Alpha, so we don't have to tell people about Jesus. We literally give ourselves over to Netflix. We give ourselves over to homework. We give ourselves over to school. We give ourselves over to, to work, whatever your excuse is. We give ourselves over to these idols just so that we don't have to do what God has already asked us to do. Because God asks us to do many different things. But the most important things that he asks us to do are to love God and to love your neighbor. And what it really comes down to is if we truly love our neighbor, if we literally love our neighbor, there is nothing stopping us from sharing the gospel with them. Because I've had experiences when I was in college here, back in the day, a long time ago, I was an alcoholic, severe alcoholic. I couldn't go more than a week without getting blackout drunk every single solitary week. I was sleeping around. I was doing pretty much everything a party or a normal football player would do. 
And then one day somebody, I hit rock bottom and I went to jail. And one day somebody invited me to Chi Alpha and I came to Chi Alpha. And then through that I gave my life to Christ. And my life was radically transformed. He took away my alcohol addiction. He took away my, my even my filthy mouth. Like, I couldn't go, you can ask Courtney, I couldn't go three words without saying a curse word. And now it's just the furthest thing from my mind. God has absolutely transformed my life. And now no longer do I look after the things like alcohol and the things like um, even sports to fill that void. I've done so many things to fill that, that empty void for so long that once I realized that I had God, I had Jesus, I no longer had to fill those voids. But yet, when I say I love my neighbor, I'm not willing to give these guys out here the same thing that I receive. I'm not willing to get outside of my comfort zone and go out and share with them about the things that I've received because I'm giving myself over to my false idols. I'm giving myself over to my, my whatever it is, and we justify it. We say, oh, it's because I need a good grade. Oh, it's because whatever. We give ourselves these excuses, but what it really comes down to is if Jesus Christ came tomorrow, would you be satisfied telling him about your day today? If Jesus came to earth tomorrow, and you had to recount what you did tonight, would you feel comfortable doing it? Or would you be able to say, I did everything I possibly could to love the people around me. I did everything I possibly could in that moment to share about you. I did everything in that moment to do what you've asked me to do. Well, let's expand it out. If Jesus Christ came back tonight, would you be able to say, this week, this month, this year, I've done what you've asked me to do. Or would we sit in shame with our hands in our, our face, or our face in our hands? And so what it really comes down to is, why? What prevents us from going out and just simply inviting somebody to tie off? Inviting them to a conversation. Inviting them to talk about Jesus. Inviting them to to do whatever God is asking us to do. I think it's fear of not having the right things to say. I think it's what we're going to talk about. Fear of not having the right things to say. So we're going to be in Scripture. We're going to be in Luke 12. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1, if you want to put on your phone, otherwise we'll have it up here. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, gathered, had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will be not, not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Instead, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will all also acknowledge before the angels of God. 
But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angel of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. And now let's focus in. For the Holy Spirit at that time, or for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. I think that it comes down to control. We want control of our lives. We strive after control of our lives. And when I was in control of my life, it led me in jail. Man, we are not good in control. We are not capable, as human beings, we are not capable of being in control. We just simply can't handle it. We have to give our control over to somebody who can. And when I gave my control over to, to Jesus, everything in my life began to get organized. That doesn't mean everything in my life was easy. I still, you know, you guys know I've been through the last year, well, my wife's been through the last year. We lost our mom, grandma. Um, Courtney's lost her dad. You know, there's tons of things that have happened since we became Christian. It's not that everything becomes easy and simple. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God begins to direct your paths. And he begins to align things. He begins to set people up in your life that will hold you accountable. Begin to put things in your path that will turn you away from those addictions and those those things that we go and tend to fall to instead of Christ. And what God is saying, and what, what Jesus is saying right here, and these are Jesus' words. I just focus on verse 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. It doesn't say Jesus, or it doesn't say the Holy Spirit will tell you a week ahead of time. It doesn't say he'll tell you a month ahead of time. It doesn't say he'll, he'll tell you in the morning and go and do it in the afternoon. He says, at that time, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. But this isn't just a simple, like, hey, I'm going to go out, hey, what's up, man? I'm going to talk to you. Jesus will give me what to say. He's even specifically going further than that. He's saying, if your life is on the line and you're standing in a synagogue, if you guys remember back then, that, that during, uh, in the synagogues, Christians were being persecuted, being killed. He's saying, if you find yourself in a synagogue and the authorities are coming against you, don't even worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit is going to intercede. And he doesn't say the Holy Spirit's going to prevent you from being killed. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit's going to prevent you from whatever. But he's saying the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what to say. And what God's saying is, I am bigger than your circumstances. And sometimes you're going to have to lay down some things. Sometimes you're going to have to make some sacrifices in order to do my will. And that's not saying that I'm going to protect you and make sure you don't even get killed. Because Christ straight up says People will persecute you. People will kill you in the name of Jesus. There are, there are people who will give their life over to the word of God. They're not going to give themselves over to the word of God. Give themselves over to God and will be killed for it. But God is saying, I will teach you what to say in order to be in my will. I will align your paths. I just find so much power in this. I find so much authority in this. It's just awesome to, to even think about that in a spur moment. We take the time to listen to God and what He's asking us to do. And lives to be changed. Don't leave them at the door.
So why were you excited that I told you to go on to that? Because of course this. Uh, I was thinking about and stuff like this. And like how um it's kind of like hey, you should do this and like should I be willing to say something about it? And like the first thing I thought about was like, we should all go out into the student center and just pick people and find the guy off it. And then you actually said you could do that. That's awesome. Alright, thanks, man. I was going to say we could have brought the wireless up. Yeah. So I need another volunteer. Another responsible volunteer. How about I, let's do this instead, since we don't have any volunteers. Everybody except for you two ladies can stand up for me. Please. <laughs> All of you need to go out and invite someone in here. What I got to do? I'm sure this is a horribly awkward for you guys. <laughs> nice to meet you guys. What's your guys' name? Shelby. Shelby? Yeah, Taylor. Taylor. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah. What's up, guys? What's your guys' names? Louis. I'm Taewon. Taewon? Where are you guys from? Uh, awesome you guys came. I'm so sorry that this is awkward for you guys because I made them go out and invite you guys in. Just basically to prove a point that sometimes we need to get out outside of our comfort zones in order to do the things. Oh yeah, I guess I should go back because through talking with them, did they tell you what you were coming in for? Yeah. What are you here for? What, what, what did they invite you for? Basically, we're Chi Alpha. Chi Alpha stands for Christ Ambassadors. We're a ministry here on campus. My wife and I, we're full-time ministers. We're missionaries to the Shiner State College campus. Um, there's Chi Alphas all over the United States. Um, you know, you guys know who Carson Wentz is? Yeah. Carson Wentz is a Chi Alpha alumni from NDSU. Actually, I'm good friends with the guy that disciples him. So I like to write on him just as if he's He's awesome. But anyway, uh, that's what Chi Alpha, we're part of a, a nationwide organization, basically to share the gospel on campus. So we meet here um, every Tuesday night at 7.30, and we do some worship, and then I usually have a full-on sermon prepared, and it's not as awkward as tonight is, but I like awkward sometimes. But um, you guys are more than welcome to, to return next week, and uh, clearly stick around tonight, but we also have a men's group. If you guys are free on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock in, in, uh, in the lobby, then uh, you guys should check out. And if you're actually interested in coming back again next week, uh, we have a thing on Facebook, uh, Kyle from Shattered State. You can join it, and we'll send you alerts and updates to remind you to come. But um, beyond that, <clears throat> going into the sermon today, uh, for those of you guys that I may go out and do that, you made it back in here. Like you guys are alive. You're not dead. Is your life over? No. I know you're probably not happy with me, but I don't really <laughs> care. I'm not here to make you happy with me. I'm not here to appease you. I'm here to share about Jesus Christ and to get my point across. I needed to have you guys go and do this. And guess what? Because of the fact that you guys there were six of you. Six of you guys got out of your comfort zones and went and did something I told you to do. 
there's five new people in here. And I'm, I'm not addressing you guys for the moment, but there's five new people in here. And so, to prove my point, literally, all it takes is to get out of your comfort zone and just do it. I'm sick of the excuses. I'm tired of the excuses. Do what Christ asks you to do. Get out of your comfort zone and just do it. As Shia LaBeouf will say, do it. You guys laugh really dumb. What? <laughs> but uh, tonight, I feel like I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony, and I'm going to get into my testimony just a little bit. Um, actually, I'm going to go full board into it, so I apologize. Uh, so I grew up in church. My mom was a uh, she was the Sunday school teacher. Um, she taught Sunday school, brought us to church every single Sunday. I called myself a Christian because I grew up in a Christian household in America. That makes you Christian, right? Well, <clears throat> going to church every single Sunday, doing all that stuff, man, I never really gave my life to Christ. I never really truly understood what being a disciple of Christ meant. I knew who Jesus was. I knew he was a historical figure. I knew that I had given my life to him, so to say, in quotes, so that I could get into heaven. And that was the extent of my understanding of religion, even though I had the vast, like, tons of scripture memorized. I grew up in a Lutheran church. But the thing about the Lutheran church is it doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit. And so my, the, that religion was dry, and it was just a set of rules that you did. It was, you do this, and here's the thing you do, and that's what you do in order to be a good Christian, and, and that's what you, you do to accomplish these things. But while going to school, I played football, wrestled, uh, baseball, track. I was a four-star, or an academic all-state. I got good grades. But the problem is, underneath the good grades and underneath the athletics, <clears throat> I was debilitatingly depressed. My life just didn't seem to make sense. I struggled with depression hardcore. I didn't know where I fit into the world. Even though I had athletes and, and teammates um, on all of my sports teams, I had friends, I had whatever, but I was still horribly, horribly depressed. And so what I did was I threw myself into football, I threw myself into wrestling, and I threw myself into my grades in order to prevent my depression from coming out. And so what I would do is, at 9 o'clock at night, I would go to sleep because I knew if I stayed up past 9.30, I would be horribly depressed that night. So I went to bed early, I woke up early, and I went to the gym early. I had done the work that it took in order to go to, to play football at Colorado State. And so I then, from high school, even though I still had depression underneath all of this, I went to go play football at Colorado State. I made the team, I did what it took, I put in the hard work. I was playing football at Colorado State, and <clears throat> I forgot to do something. While going to football practice and, and uh, signing the, the waivers over and doing what I needed to do, uh, I forgot to actually like study and go to class and actually work on my grades. And I found myself with a GPA of a .17 something, or a 1.7 something. And those of you guys in football know in order to play football in the NCAA, you have to have a 2.0 grade point average in order to be eligible. So I found myself ineligible. And until I got my grade point average up above a 2.0 again, I was done. I uh, took a semester off, decided what I wanted to do with my life, thought about transferring to the University of Wyoming, ultimately decided to come here to Shaggy. 
I got here in Shadron and I decided that even though I could be on the football team, I decided that because I had such a bad grade point average, I needed to decide what I wanted to do with my life and football wasn't it anymore. It was, I wanted to get a degree. So I quit football, I began to focus solely on education to get my grade point average up. The problem is I didn't realize that football was a temporary medicine for my depression. It was keeping my depression in check. And so now without football and now without rules and now without the, the things that I needed to do in order to, to maintain my athletic scholarship and in order to play football at the top level, I could do whatever I wanted. I began throwing myself full-blown into alcohol, full-blown into girls, full-blown into that lifestyle. And tell you what, when you dive into that lifestyle, it doesn't do any good for your depression. It kept getting worse. It kept getting worse. It kept getting worse. And here's the thing about alcohol, and here's the thing about addiction in general. Nobody wakes up one day. One day excuse me. Nobody wakes up one day and says, "Hey, I'm going to be addicted to this." It's a process. It happens over time. My alcohol addiction was a process. It happened over time. Eventually, I found myself full-blown in alcohol addiction. I couldn't go more than a day or two without drinking so much, I literally couldn't remember the entire night. I was getting blackout drunk every single night. Became a serious problem. One day, while I was blackout drunk, I apparently decided it would be a great idea to drive my Formula Firebird over some railroad tracks, trying to ramble. I don't know what I was doing. I honestly don't know. Still to this day, I don't know. But I woke up in jail, and they told me my car was totaled, and that I had caused over $75,000 worth of damage to railroad property in Alliance, Nebraska. Waking up in jail isn't a good feeling. Uh, how many of you guys have ever woken up in jail? You feel See? Good. Waking up in jail, I can tell you exactly what it feels like. Well, in my case, I, I couldn't even remember what I had done to get in jail. I just knew I was in jail. Waking up in jail, the very first thing you begin to think of are your loved ones. The people who you've let down. The people who you've disappointed. Then you begin to bargain. You talk to God. God, get me out of this situation. God, do whatever you can do in order to fix this. Then you begin to, to realize what it means for your future and your career and whatever. And after, then you begin to bargain again on a whole different level. And then you begin to just hope and pray that your mom and dad don't kill you when you get out of jail. Waking up in jail is not a fun experience. But that lifestyle I was living, any kind of lifestyle, any kind of lifestyle that involves alcohol in general, Chances are it's going to lead you down a path you don't want to go down. And you're going to look back one day and you're going to say, I sucked. Why did I ever even do that? So I get out of jail. The, the very first thing you think is, I, alcohol got me in jail, so I'm going to quit drinking, right? So I did. I decided I'm, I'm done drinking. I lasted a week before my addiction got me right back into it. So I began to bargain. I was like, all right, so 
I'll just drink once a week. Lasted like two days. Then it was, all right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drink like I normally was. Drinking isn't illegal for me. I was over 21. Drinking's not illegal for me. What I'm going to do instead is I'm just not going to drive. So I'm going to drink and just not drive. That lasted, a, uh, I think, a month before I was drinking and driving again. I couldn't get away from my addiction. It was there. It was stuck. And like I said, I didn't become an addict overnight. It was a process over a period of two, three years of me just drinking more and more and more and more. Eventually, I found myself as a full-blown addict. I couldn't even stop drinking and driving. I couldn't even stop making bad decisions that revolved around my drink. Fast forward to the next school year. Uh, I'm still hanging out with my normal party crew. I'm still drinking four or five times a week, uh, blackout drunk four or five times a week. And uh, I have a friend that invites me to this thing, and I, I pronounced it as G-Alpha at the time, but they invited me to this thing called Alpha, which is real strategy. And uh, the premise in order to get me there, see I went to Colorado State, they have Greek there, Chi Alpha sounds like a fraternity, so I was like, all right, fraternity, that sounds awesome, I'm in. And the premise was the person invited me told me that there would be good-looking girls there. And so I went, which I did marry one of them. But, so I go to Chi Alpha, and as I'm walking to Chi Alpha, and it was actually in this room back then, too. As I'm walking, I'm coming up the, the stairs over there on, on the edge of the pit, and one of my drinking buddies stops me, and he says, hey, we're going to go out drinking tonight. you want to come with? And I was like, no, I'm going to this thing called Chi Alpha. And they stopped me, and they're like, is that church thing? And that's when it dawned on me that Chi Alpha was a religious group. But luckily, I was a man of my word, and I was like, y'all, I'm still going to go. I was like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to this. When it's over with, I'll hit you guys up, and we'll go drink. And like, all right. And so I came in Chi Alpha. And I probably felt even more awkward than those of you guys that got dragged in here tonight. It was one of the most awkward experiences I ever had. Immediately, the second I walked in, a bunch of people started hugging me, and I'm not, I wasn't a hugger. And immediately, we began into worship, which you guys missed um, the front end of worship, but began worship. They're raising their hands, and they're energetic, and they're excited about what uh, apparently God was doing in their life, and I just felt out of place. But then something just kind of clicked in me. And, and deep down, I just kind of realized, this is the place I wanted to be. As, as uncomfortable as it was, and as awkward as it was, and as much as I wanted to be somewhere else, something deep down was just like, this is, this is where I want to be. This is something that I feel like can help me out. This is something that I feel like is going to be good for me. I've, I've done so many things that have happened. Maybe this will be that one thing that's good for me. And so I decided pretty much right then and there I would come back to Kyle. And I did. I came back to Kyle for the next week and the next week. And even though I was still drinking and getting drunk five, five six times a week, I came back to Kyle every single week. And it became that thing that was like, it, it almost undid all the bad I was doing. I come to Kyle Alpha, so I felt justified in doing the rest of the stuff I was doing. I began looking forward to Chi Alpha more than I looked forward to drinking. And eventually one day in the ballroom, there was a, uh, 
service that the church, one of the local churches is putting on by Eric Tim. It basically, have you, guys, have you guys heard of Eric Tim? No? So basically what Eric Tim does is he's what you would call an evangelistic painter. So he would paint this big, huge picture while he's preaching a sermon. And this sermon he titled Repainting Jesus. And as he's painting, he begins to add some things to it, and then he comes over and he talks about it. Then he adds a little bit to it, comes over and talks about it. And basically, the sermon was about repainting Jesus in that. So many different people have tried to tell you who Jesus is, that we begin to paint this picture of who Jesus is. We begin to paint this picture of what religion is. We begin to paint this picture of who Christ is uh, and, and what he means to us. And more often than not, somebody else's version of Jesus isn't the real version of Jesus. And so what he was saying was, we got to stop and take a break and start from scratch, and we have to repaint Jesus and allow Jesus to paint Jesus. We've got to allow Jesus himself to represent himself accurately to us. That it's not about what everybody else has said, it's not about what your mom and dad said, it's not about what your, your grandma who's a Christian said, what really matters is what Jesus says he is, and who Jesus says he is. And so when he gets done painting this picture, he takes it and flips it over, and then the whole time it was a painting of Jesus on a cross, but he was painting it upside down so you couldn't tell what it was. And it was, it was awesome. And he says, so if any of you guys out there feel like you need to repaint Jesus, stand to your feet. And I just shared with you guys, to me, Jesus was some historical figure that may or may not have actually existed, but I grew up in a Christian household, so therefore I was Christian. And I believed in Jesus, but really only, only on the surface level. And so I was like, yeah, I need to repaint Jesus, because Jesus to these guys here was not the same Jesus to me. So I recognized these guys were way more passionate about this thing, this, this relationship with Jesus. These guys were excited about God. They were having fun with God. It was, it was an awesome experience for them, and I knew for me, he was just a historical figure that may or may not have existed. And so I stood to my feet, and when I stood to my feet, something came over me so powerful that I couldn't just help it other than to just weep. I began just sobbing, just crying like crazy. And I'd like to say at that moment, I gave my life to Christ and I stopped drinking, but I didn't. But I was excited about what God was doing in my life. And so I began to, to continue to get more and more involved in my office. Eventually, one day, I get invited to a, a winter conference called SALT. We go every single January um, to this conference. We actually just got back last month from it. We brought some, some of these guys. And uh, it's just, it's a life-changing experience. But I had no clue what SALT was. And so, but I was excited about what God was doing in my life. And I was excited about the, the prospect that God was really real. That Jesus Christ could really be real. That what people have been saying about Jesus for years and years about him being this loving person and, and that he's actually represented, that people actually have conversations with him. Like, that prospect of actually having a conversation with Jesus excited Like, the concept that God actually could hear what I'm asking and he could reply was exciting. And so I said, you know what, sign me up, I'll go to Saul. 
if this is an opportunity to get closer to this God that you guys talk about, I'll go. So we go up to Salt. And uh, the very first night of Salt, the Reverend, uh, Reverend Sean Smith, he's an amazing dude from uh, Chico State in California. Uh, originally, we did Kyle for there. Now he's just an evangelist. But he was the speaker. And uh, he gives this awesome sermon, and, and he just says, basically the point of the sermon was, when you're in control of your own life, you, know, you wreck it, you destroy it. And we should give our lives over to Jesus to be a people. It sounds simple, whatever. But he said, who wants to give their life to Christ, give themselves over to Jesus? And I raised my hand, and the same thing, that same feeling that overcame me, when I gave my life to Christ, came over me again. And just, I couldn't stop weeping. It actually spawned one of my favorite sayings, which is, if uh, there's no snot, it's not real. Like, you can fake cry, like actors can fake cry, but they can't fake the snot that comes out, you know what I'm saying? And so if there's no snot, it's not real. And so there's just this, the snottiest, nastiest tears you've ever seen in your entire life. Because I could feel God. Like, that just blows my mind. That blew, at the time, it just blew my mind that, that I could actually feel God's presence. And in that moment, I could feel it. I knew exactly that, who God was, and I knew exactly why he was doing what he was doing in my life. And he just kind of just surrounded me, and I just felt so at peace with my life. I felt so at peace with everything going on. So I come back to Shattered. My life was just absolutely wrecked. Absolutely changed. My addiction to alcohol completely gone. 100%. My. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. I was also diagnosed as uh, bipolar, severe bipolar, uh, manic depressive, uh, borderline personality disorder and something else, I can't remember what it was, and I was medicated heavily on antipsychotics and antidepressants. That was gone. <clears throat> my bipolar disorder, gone. My depression, gone. I have struggled with depression a single time since then. It's been nine years. In nine years, I have struggled with depression. Nine years, I have struggled with alcohol. So I come back to Shattery. I had asked my wife out to, to, to date prior to me meeting this all. And she said that. Um, and she put me in a friend zone. And uh, when I came back from Salt, even she could just feel and see differences. I came back and feel the change. And all that happened, the only thing that happened gave my life over I said, when I was in control of my life, I couldn't handle it. I struggled with alcohol. I struggled with depression. I struggled with even just knowing what to do with my life. I struggled with my purpose. I struggled with literally everything that you can possibly struggle with as a 22-year-old, 21-year-old. I struggled with it. And I came back without any of that burden. I just took the burden off my shoulders. I didn't have an identity. 
and I came back with them. Eventually, I did meet my friends on, and my wife did eventually take me, and now we're married. Not been married for four years now. But I literally owe everything in my life to Jesus Christ and what he's done. And even if God never does a single other thing for me, other than what he did on the cross, that's more than enough. But yet, he still took the time to come down and took my depression away. He took my alcoholism away. He took all of those stupid problems away from me. And now I no longer struggle with my identity. I no longer struggle with depression. I no longer struggle with alcoholism. really just comes down to that first step. First step of just saying, I'm going to repay Jesus. I'm going to let God tell me who he is instead of me telling God who he should be. Instead of me telling what God, what he's done wrong in my life, I'm going to allow him to tell me who he is. So fast forward, or actually rewind, back to before I was in jail. I can remember a dream that I had. And this dream is, at this point in time, was so far away from reality that I used to joke about it with my friends. And in this dream, I had this dream that I would become some sort of pastor, but it wasn't a pastor of a church. It looked different. I couldn't explain it at the time. I became a Bible thumper, is how I would word it. I became a Bible thumper. I became some sort of pastor. And there's more to the dream, but basically what I realized after I had given my life to Christ was that God had already ordained things in my life prior to me accepting Christ. And it was this, this process that, that occurred. And so tonight, I guess... The whole reason of me sharing my testimony and, and the, the whole reason for, for even inviting you guys in here is I couldn't do it a service to let you guys come in here and not share with you guys what Jesus Christ meant to me. But I'm not even asking you to take my word for it. Because like I just said, we need to repaint Jesus and allow Jesus to paint the picture. And so tonight... I want you, everybody in here, to ask God to repaint the picture of Jesus Christ. I want you to take what you've heard about Jesus or what you think about Jesus or what you think about religion and ask God to show himself to you. And listen to what God says to us and who God says to us. See, Christianity isn't about feeling ashamed for what you're doing. It's not about persecution. It's not about hate. It's not about a set of rules that you have to adhere to. And Christianity is about having a God who wants to be with us so much and he loves us so much that he gave us free will. And instead of allowing us to continue with our wrecked life and our inability to, 
to live wholesomely. He came down and he took the burden upon himself. There is literally nothing you have to do in order to be a Christian as far as your own abilities. God doesn't say you need to do this in order to become a Christian. He doesn't say you need to stop drinking in order to become a Christian. He doesn't say you need to fix yourself before you go to church. He doesn't say you need to start living right or anything like that. He just says, I've already died on the cross for you. I've already done it. All you have to do is just say yes. You have to accept my gift. It's literally all it comes down to. It's that easy. It really is that easy. It just says, stop trying to control your life for the wrong reason. It's so simple. We try to make Christianity out of it. Before I was a Christian, we tried to make I tried to make Christianity out of it to this thing that was a bunch of just snobby people that thought they were better than me, that did all this religious stuff. I wasn't really a part of that, but I knew I was a Christian because I grew up in a Christian household. But it's really not that simple. Your faith in, in Jesus has to be your own faith. It's not your mom's faith. It's not your dad's faith. It's not your grandma's faith. It's not that aunt that loves you to death and drags you to church. Your faith in Jesus has to be your own. I got everybody out of here. I'm going to ask you the same thing that the pastor asked me when I went to the Repaint Jesus sermon. If you're sitting in here tonight and you came in here with, with assumptions about Christianity, assumptions about Jesus, maybe that one Christian, that random Christian that was just butthole to you when you were young just turns you off with Christianity. Or maybe that random person who said they were a Christian and didn't behave like it. And so you judge all of Christianity off of that. You came in here with that kind of baggage and that kind of burden as to what Christianity is. I'm going to ask you right now where you're at in this place. Just take a second and just ask God it's this simple. Just ask God to show himself to you. Just where you're at, just ask God, ask Jesus to show you who he really is. Christian or not, if you're a follower of Jesus or not, just ask Jesus to paint his own picture. So tonight, if, if, it's going to be super simple. If that's you, and you're here tonight, and you're saying, Jesus, I want you to show me who you are. 
And maybe the, the Jesus that preacher is standing up front is talking about isn't the Jesus that I know. And all you're saying, I'm not asking you to, to give your life to Christ. I'm not asking you to, to accept some sort of religion. I'm not asking you to do anything like that. All I'm asking you is to ask God to show himself to you. If that's you, and you, you're asking God to show himself to you, and that's you, and that's you, and that's you. So I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer here. And I'm going to ask that everybody says it. And even if, I, if I'm speaking to you and you know I'm speaking to you and you can feel it, but you didn't raise your hand, and this prayer still applies. And pray it like you mean it. So I'm going to ask everybody in here to say this prayer after me. And uh, it's super simple. So everybody repeat after me. God. God. Say it loud and everybody repeat after me. God. God. Will you please show yourself to me? Will you please show yourself to me? I want to see you. Excuse me. I want to see you. Yeah, I want to see you. I want to see you. I need to know if you're real. I need to know if you're real. Will you please make your presence known? Please make your presence known to me. That's it. That's all there is to it. And so tonight we're going to end service with a couple worship songs. And during this worship, I want you guys to be open. I want you guys to ask God, even while worship is going on, to ask God to show himself, to, to make his presence known to you. Ask him to, to, to allow you to feel his presence. And just open yourself up to him and what he might want to do tonight. So if everybody could stand with me. We're just going to sing a couple worship songs. If you're not familiar with worship, basically some music plays. We have some words on the screen. And uh, you can sing along with them um, if you prefer not to. I'm not going to judge you, but I encourage you to sing along. It's, it's awesome. to bring you to church? Do I feel like God's saying to you that you knew him when you were young? God's saying you knew him when you were young, but you've walked away. And because of the fact that you've walked away, he's held off on some blessings in your life and some things that he wants to do through you. But he's saying if you return to him, not only is he going to begin blessing you again and begin directing your path, but he's going to give you those blessings for the past. Those blessings that he held out on because of the way you've been living your life. He's just saying to you, man, just return to him. Just be a part. Be the man that not only what your grandma used to say you were supposed to be, but what God has told you in the past that you're supposed to be. And he'll begin to align those steps and he'll begin to pour out those blessings on your life if you will just give yourself back over to heaven. <clears throat>
what's, what's your name of the, the I forgot the children. I feel like God's saying to you that you feel like you struggle to, to be good enough. You feel like you struggle to 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 add up to to be um, to measure up. Sometimes you feel like you just don't measure up to, to those around you and those in your life. But maybe you don't feel good enough at some times. And so God is telling you that not only are you good enough, but you're more than good enough. And he's saying that he loves you so much and he wants so much good for you in your life. And he's just asking you to give those burdens over to him. The burdens of not feeling like you measure up, those burdens of, of just feeling inadequate. He, he wants to take those burdens on his shoulder and he wants you to be able to be the woman that you're meant to be. God isn't just something that existed in the past and that is dead. Jesus is living. He's alive. He talks to us. And we can hear his voice. We can hear the path he wants for us. We, he, we, can, hear, uh, we can hear him tell, him, tell us how much he loves us. We just have to open ourselves up to what he wants to do. That's Lord, we love you. And uh, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the, the new students who came in here. God, I pray for every single one of them that raised their hands, and, and honestly, even the ones that didn't. That you begin to show yourself to them in brand new ways. That your presence would be absolutely undeniable. They would know you existed. That it's not just some dead religion, some out of time thing that's backwards and, and out of sync with today's society. No, uh, Lord, that, that you're real. That you would show them that. But we give you the praise. We give you the glory. Lord, we love you.